Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today we're doing something new. It's a second release of the week, and we're going to discuss the earnings palooza that is going on. Today is Wednesday, July 28th, and it is big tech earnings release and more. Uh, With these episodes, we're hoping to cover all kinds of different industries. We're looking at U.S. and Canadian companies, as this is the Canadian Investor Podcast. But for this first release, some of the biggest names, the biggest mega tech companies have released earnings, so we are going to go through those and a few other names as well. Simon, I'm excited to do this. We have a couple of your your names on here as well. And uh, what have you? What has been your feel generally from today and, and yesterday with some of these big releases? My feel is things are going much better than 2020. <laughs> That's my biggest thing from said. all of it. Yeah, and uh, for it'll be fun, just a high level. Obviously, we're not doing a deep dive, so it's kind of uh, just a high-level view of what we've seen so far in these different earnings release. That's right. All right, let's cook it off with uh, one of my largest holdings, which is Alphabet. Google's parent company reported 62% revenue growth. I think that might need another. I think I need to say that again. If you didn't hear me correctly, 62% revenue growth in Comp Q2 to $61.9 billion in revenue for the quarter. YouTube generated over $7 billion compared to $3.8 billion in their top line revenue, which is absolutely absurd. Uh, that you know They're basically doubled revs in a year. YouTube is a beast, and they are sure monetizing it now. They're going pretty heavy on the ads. I worry that they're over-earning just a little bit. And I know this sentiment has has come around with a few circles I talk to. They are really pushing a lot of ads. Yet, more and more growth from actual uh, viewership. So it doesn't seem to be hurting them. So what are they going to do? They're going to keep gushing the businesses like cash flow, which is advertising. So anyways, Google Cloud also grew to 4.6 billion on top line revenue. It still loses money, but they're only a quarter or two uh, from profitability in the cloud business based on my quick back of the envelope math. Uh, Once you hit that point, you have another segment with a lot of operating leverage that'll continue to gush cash. The core search business has over 60% operating income margins. And when I think of the best business on the planet, this has got to be it, right? The core Google search business is absurdly good. 60% operating income margin, still growing, monopoly, gateway to the internet. I mean, really, the core search business gushes cash out of its pores uh, and continues to grow as globally digital advertising spend increases. If $26 billion in cash on the balance sheet and uh, they're investing heavily into cloud and artificial intelligence, says Sundar Pichai, the CEO. Well, personally, I'm still bull- bullish on Alta Vista, but I think it's been dead for too long. I don't you're think a, it'll ba- make you're it a Bing come. guy, aren't you? You use Bing. <laughs> oh, yeah, Bing. No, no. 
<laughs> I get annoyed. At work, we have like Microsoft Edge, and I think by default it it's goes to Bing every time. I'm like, oh, I just hate it. So I have to like type manually Google to to go to that. Yeah, But, you. Uh, yeah. The only reason you use Bing is to search Google. Um, and I mean, really, like it is a superior product. There have been all kinds of people that have tried to create search results that are competitive with Google and you just can't like I was the same way when I used to have my corporate job I would bing something like even just a regulation like some environmental regulation and it would just not give me what I'm looking for and then I'd go right to Google and I'd get straight the answer that I'm looking for once you have that experience you're never using another search engine again Yeah, exactly. And for those wondering what AltaVista is, it's uh, the search engine in the uh, dial-up days. That's essentially what it was. You're dating yourself now. Yeah, and if you don't know what dial-up is, well, you can Google it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so on to the next ones. The next one that I want to talk about is Teladoc. Everyone knows I own it. Um, so I wanted. They came out with uh, their earnings. I believe it was yesterday. Um, revenue growth, 109% year over year. Um, Although it may seem really impressive, at this time last year, Teladoc had not made the Livongo acquisition yet. So that's something to keep in mind. I mean, there's it's still very, very good, don't get me wrong, but just something to keep in mind here. The revenue outlook for the full year increase for 2021 uh, between $2 billion and $2.025 billion. Total second quarter visit top $2.4 million. That's 28% higher than last year during the first wave of the pandemic. So that's really interesting right there, especially since Livongo is more a, of a chronic care, uh, something that patients will use constantly over time. So these numbers specifically for the visit, very interesting to see that the usage is still very high. Free cash flow positive for the quarter, although it's better to look at this metric on a full year basis. So just a little asterisk on that. They had a net loss of $134 million versus $26 million last year. But again, they were free cash flow positive. For the most part, it's expenses that have gone up due to the Livongo acquisition and the InTouch Health acquisition. Something to keep an eye on. And is it is something I did mention as well when I talked about it when I looked at their uh, 2020 full year result, something to keep an eye on are these expenses that are related to those acquisitions. And they also launched the MyStrength Complete, which is an integrated on-demand mental health care service. So overall for me, uh, very, I think, solid quarter from Teladoc. Again, I'm very interested in seeing what happens for the full year full year of Livongo just to see what kind of impact it had on the business, making sure that those increased costs kind of normalize as well towards the last two quarters of the year. That's something that I'll be looking at, but I'm a happy shareholder. And I will mention one last thing. I had something one um, uh, mentioned me on Twitter saying like, oh, the market opened, Teladoc was down 10% on the news of the earnings release. Um, you know, wondering if he should sell and whatnot. Well, by the end of the day, Teladoc was actually up slightly on the day. And that's pretty typical for Teladoc when they come out with their earnings release. Oftentimes, there's going to be an overreaction on the actual same day. And there's going to be a swing of like, it's not uncommon to see a 10% swing in a day for Teladoc, especially after the earnings release comes out. And that really highlights why we invest 
in the long term for these type of businesses because we don't get swayed by these short-term swings. Yeah, and if you want a, a lesson in temperament, just follow Simon on Twitter because he has held some stuff that has been crazy volatile but ends up winning big. And Teladoc, like you can agree, I mean, the valuation got pretty nuts during the pandemic. It was like, oh, this stay-at-home telemedicine service just got pumped out of control. Uh, you were the benefactor of that for a while because you held pre-it go crazy. But um, it's come back to life yet still posting some good numbers. So this is kind of the opportunity for, for guys like you to keep keep averaging down on it. And then, you know, I mean, the, the business's long-term vision is intact. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Microsoft posted Q4, Q4 2021. Revenue was up 21%. Operating income was up 42%. Earnings per share was up 49%. Like, come on. Are we not entertained? Like, insert movie quote. Are you not entertained? LinkedIn revenue increased 46% and now has done $10 billion in revs over the last trailing 12 months. For context, $10 billion on the last 12 months is what Twitter has done in the past three years combined. So just to give you some context of, of how big LinkedIn is now, uh, even though I th- do think it's a bit of a goofy platform, I'm not really sure what its identity really is, uh, but that's just my uh, my take. Xbox had some weakness in a console year, which is disappointing because they can't get they can't get chips to sell these things. Sony and Microsoft console cycle has been a huge flop so far. I don't have anywhere else to put it, but I'm not a gamer, so I don't really have any anecdote of anecdotal evidence here to point to but is anyone buying these new consoles like can you even get them i've heard nothing about it uh yeah i've i haven't either read too much on it personally i i do play video games from time to time but i tend to play on pc and i'm fine with playing like i have a cheap subscription five dollars a month where i can play like i think it's it EA and i can play or is it to eat? No, oh. I think it's Wii A platform. I can play like Star Wars game that were released like three years ago. Oh, and okay. for me, it's more than enough and stuff like that. So I don't care about having the most up-to-date title. So that's just my personal thing. Yeah. Like I don't even, I haven't heard anything about it. Maybe I'm just getting old, but I'm not hearing about video games. <laughs> but like, I don't even know anything about this console release. It goes to show you how big Microsoft has become and these points of weakness become a wash as the whole business together grows so fast. Like the Azure platform continues to grow at industry leading pace. Um, and, and they, they're winning the big, big deals because they already have so many people in their Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, the business is doing extremely well. I mean, earnings per share up 49%. Uh, we'll give them a break for the Xbox thing. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft has been overall good at uh, identifying acquisition. They haven't. They don't have a flawless record. Obviously, Skype is probably the, <laughs> one of the best examples there. But when they hit, they hit big. And LinkedIn is a really good example. Um, I know with my work, a lot of people kind of swear on LinkedIn. They love the professional networking aspect of it. I'm kind of like you. I'm like, ah, it's fine. I kind of go from time to time, but. Uh, I mean, people that love it seem to really love it. So I, I, that's all I have to say. Yeah, we're fin Twitter guys. That's why. What happened with Apple? 
So Apple reported Q3 uh, earnings with a 36% increase in sales. So that reached a record 81.4 billion for the quarter. So that is that is quite amazing, especially a company as massive as Apple. It's I mean they just keep pumping in uh, free cash flow, uh, 21 billion dollars of cash flow as well. Um, iPhone sales were great. The iPhone 12 uh, Max sales were great as well with the new M Apple chips. Uh, the service segment is killing it since we're really addicted to our phones, and they've really been focusing on that service segment. And uh, they've they don't. They don't uh, publish the uh, actual iPhone metrics, I think, now. They just uh, publish how much they make, right? Yeah. They, they in terms of revenue. In revs, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah. Because people were getting, they were, I think, tired of analysts asking about, like, units sold. And they're like, yeah. you know what? We how won't many publish it. We'll iPhones? Just... Like, come yeah. on. It seems ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember, like, what, three, four years ago, like, people were really wondering where Apple was going to go with slowing iPhone sales. And now we're looking back and it was obviously a buying opportunity um, the one thing that put a little bit of a cold shower on their numbers is the fact that uh, cook tim cook did say that uh, they are facing supply constraint cook said that the shortages aren't in the high-powered processor that apple has manufactured for its devices so like iphone for example or even their laptops but it's what's called the legacy nodes or chips that do everyday functions like driving displays or decoding audio and can be manufactured using older equipment so we're seeing that same chip supply constraint that we've seen with other industries uh, you talked about it with Microsoft and obviously car manufacturers have been heavily impacted by that as well so definitely something to keep an eye on uh, like whether you have Apple stocks Microsoft uh, maybe some of the automakers but other types of businesses they're really um, you know seems to be it's a problem. I don't know how long it'll stay a problem, but something to keep an eye on. It's one of those things where you don't realize how much everything we make has become a computer until we have no little micro semiconductors to put in every single thing that we need to make. And you're going to talk about CN Rail in a bit later. I was doing a report on CN Rail and talking about the, the chip shortage. And there's all these ripple effects, right? Like, they are moving a lot less cars and it has a significant impact on their revenue because there's not enough chips to sell to the automakers. And then CN Rail can't move as many cars. It is this giant ripple effect that is affecting many, many parts of the economy. But at the end of the day, given all of these concerns, they generate $21 billion in free cash flow for the quarter. So Good businesses keep getting it done. Speaking of good businesses, Visa reported revenues up 27% in Q3, payment volume up 34%, cross-border volume was up 47%. Now, Visa is such a good proxy for the economy. That total payment volume, uh, they put it right at the top of every earnings release and I just think it's such a good proxy for the economy. It literally looks exactly like the shutdowns and reopening of the economy over time uh, when you graph that out. So it's great to see that the cross-border volume also pick up for this business. It's still way down from pre-pandemic. So when it's up 47%, it's from a very low base. So, I mean, that sounds great, but this is still low. I mean, look, cash is dead. Visa and MasterCard 
barring a decentralized protocol like Bitcoin coming in, and, and that's a whole nother discussion, but their moat seems impenetrable. And it continues to have margins that are way too good to ignore. And I, I tweeted today, what are the best businesses in the world? And I thought, Visa, Amazon Web Services, MasterCard, and the core Google search business. Earning season is validating this this thesis that I have right now. And uh, Visa is just such a great business. And I'm, I'm happy to be a shareholder. Yeah, I'm happy you talked about the base effects with Visa because it's easy, especially if you're getting started investing. You see like cross-border volume increase 47% and get really excited. And I could even apply that to airlines right now. Yeah. Right? They're saying like these numbers are up 50, 60%. Well, okay, no one was traveling last year. So of course they're up. Uh, but I think it's, yeah, it's always important to put these things in context, but clearly it's a, it's a great business, yes. Yeah, you're, you're able to kind of make up whatever story you want using statistics like the airlines i remember one day during the pandemic like it was like q4 and they're like hey look you know flights are up 80 percent from you know q2 when we had the shutdown i'm like oh okay so like five people flew this year like from the the three people that flew uh in q2 from atlanta to like to georgia like come on this is the same this is a, a base of zero right so it's very easy to to uh you know make a story all right speaking of numbers up big may i say one thing about tfi yeah international go, go. before you start on go. it so um so yeah your second favorite french canadian running this business that's right second favorite you're my favorite french canadian <laughs> uh yeah i mean come on elaine bedard is a wizard all right so tfi international t ticker TFII on the TSX. It also is dual listed. It trades on the New York Stock Exchange. Now this company, I mean, you can grab, we have all these like big technology companies, you know, dominating, make, posting these crazy good results. If you graph their performance, their stock performance of the last two years, boring old trucking company TFII is dominating all everything like it's been incredible q2 operating income was up 226 percent free cash flow up 68.9 percent revenue up 130 percent all right so how how is that possible right it's because they acquired ups freight which is already doing great i would love to be able to get in the boardroom just just to be a fly on the wall and how on earth he convinced them to sell him that asset for $800 million. It has some of the best. Yeah, when was that acquisition? It, then? it closed in Q1. Okay, okay. Oh, wow. So Q2 is like the first it actually working. So now it's like TFI, or TFI Freight. Um, yeah, with, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, if you drive around and you see the swoop, like a blue swoop, on the trucks, they have different brands that they acquire, and then they they put the swoop Canpar, over. Canpar, right? Canpar is Canpar. their yeah. their last mm -hmm. mile delivery parcel service that competes with UPS parcel service. Um. Anyways, the speak, speaking of Canpar, the last mile delivery segment is crushing it from e-commerce tailwinds. So I've been telling y'all how great of a roll-up strategy tfi has been and it keeps winning so the stock is up more than four five times since i added it to the stratosphere model portfolio 
So my members have been making some money on this thing. I try to find some underpriced growth. You know, a company like TFI is benefiting from e-commerce, but you're paying 12 times earnings, not 50 times sales, right? So you can find a lot of value there. And how on earth he convinces people to buy these assets that are quote unquote distressed, he turns them around, makes them amazing and highly, highly profitable in their network. So TFI continues to get it done. It's a boring business and it is an awesome stock. Yeah, that's uh, that's one I wish I, I would have had, especially my TFSC, because it, it does pay a dividend, right? Small yeah, it pays, it pays a growing dividend. Yeah, yeah there you go. But um, yeah, I'll keep an eye on it. Maybe at some point, uh, you may I'll click buy along with uh, Shopify at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next one, so Canadian National Rail. So okay, they came out with their, um, their earnings last week. Revenues were up 12% year over year. Again, take that with a little bit of a grain of salt because last year re- revenues were down with everything that was going on with the pandemic. Net income went from uh, $545 million last year to $1.034 billion. Uh, most metrics were up compared to last year, so it's definitely encouraging. Things are starting to pick back up. Some little issues here and there, like Braden said, with uh, auto shipments um, that are impacted by amongst other things, chip shortages. Uh, what's still weighing on the stock? And some people were asking me like, oh, why is it so cheap? Like, I don't understand. It's really the the bid that dated for Kansas City Southern. And people are questioning specifically the breakup fee that uh, Canadian National Rail would be on the hook, which is roughly $2 billion Canadian. As you can see with the money that they're pumping out, I mean, they would be able to afford it. But the that's not the point. The point is that was it really a bit ill advised if it doesn't get approved by U.S. regulators? And I guess we'll see. Um, I'm a shareholder. It's not a huge position for me, so I will kind of just hold for the time being, kind of see what's what happens, give it a little more leash. Um, obviously, I would like the bid to work for that two billion uh, breakup fee, and just the fact that it will give it quite the network going all the way to Mexico both coasts on the Canadian side and all the way to the Gulf uh, of Mexico as well in the U.S. So it would give them, I'm not even sure if they're, they, like, is there another railway that has that much of a network in North America? No, not even no, close. Huh? Yeah. So really, a, I mean, a significant competitive advantage. So I think that's my take on them with their earnings. The, the big story with them is still that bid for Kansas City Southern. It's up in limbo right now, and it feels like it's been in limbo for quite a while now. So I guess we we hurry up and wait. Another interesting proxy for reopening, Starbucks. Revenues were up 78%. Now, this is, this is crazy to me. They had same-store sales growth of 83% increase in the U.S. Like, my God, they passed... 5,000 stores in China, finally. And they did highlight their cold drink, cold drinks segment that is doing really well. They're expensive, and they fill a craving on a hot summer day, so I'm not really surprised. Now, when inflation is here, you want to own great businesses with pricing power. I talk all the time about how important it is for long-term compounders, businesses that are able to charge premium prices and then raise them. Starbucks is a perfect example of that when you order your non-fat vanilla oat milk half sugar no froth hint of hazelnut frappe. 
I got it. I got it out. <laughs> Is that uh, even an option? Oh, you believe me. I go there and I hear some wild drink choices. So uh, that's definitely you could you could try to order that. See what see what they come up with. Do you have a Do you have a Starbucks drink that you go go to or no? Uh, not really. I mean, I tend to in the summer just get um, cold brew iced coffee mm, with just so some good. cream. And in the winter, probably would be a uh, just a grande or whatever their sizing is. I, I always get confused. I always say but, large, uh, and they're like, "Oh, he's a he's one of those he's guys." One of those, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, put a shot of espresso in there if I really mm. need uh, a red eye or whatever it's called. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's yeah, good. That's kind of my go-to. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Things are reopening, and people are going to Starbucks and spending all kinds of money. So good for them. All right, last on the list. Spotify. Spotify is down 7% today. There was some soft, softness in monthly active users, that MAU number that everyone talks about in software. That being said, monthly active users, MAUs, were up 22%. They are free cash flow positive, barely. Like they make, a, they make a few bucks. But they're aggressively pursuing their optionality in audio, which is podcasts, uh, exclusive rights, and perhaps you're listening to this podcast on Spotify right now. I like Spotify long-term, honestly. It has the best engagement of any consumer application, really low churn, great network effects. Uh, premium subs were up 20%. Ad-supported subs were up 24%. Their funnel of ad-supported users funneling down, converting to premium subscribers, it works really, really well. Uh, during the quarter, they did buy exclusive rights to the huge podcast you may or may know, not know called Call Her Daddy for $60 million. It was a Barstool Sports podcast. Uh, they have been prov- like they have some proving to do here. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I am bullish on Spotify, but they have some proving to do here because they took Joe Rogan exclusive. And Joe Rogan's numbers are down a lot since the deal. And it's because he can no longer do this omni-channel experience. Like people watched it on YouTube, people watched it on whatever platform they were on before, and now it's like he's not getting that algorithm boost. Maybe it's the YouTube factor, but uh, his his metrics are way down. Uh, so it might be one of those things where they're going to have to spend a lot of money, like Netflix, until they have this big land grab before it really starts to work subs grow and then you have this operating leverage kind of like the netflix strategy time will tell you got to spend a lot of money to do it um so that's what the bears will say they'll say how did this is like another super capex expensive to go exclusive on this stuff but if the strategy works out i mean netflix is a prime example of how it can work out long term yeah, I'm I'm surprised Netflix and Spotify haven't gone with a hybrid pricing strategy where yeah, they I know Spotify has the ad supported version subscribers, but what about having a you know, a less expensive subscription with, you know, some ads, not a lot, just a few every now and then that enhances the experience and same thing for Netflix. 
they could still charge, let's say half the price, but you do have some ads that like, you know, one had halfway through or something like that. I'm surprised they, they haven't kind of played with that a little more just to cry, try and get more subscribers that do pay for the content. I guess just like, what's the, what's the value proposition of like, Hey, pay us, but you're still going to get some ads. Yeah, no, it's true. No, I get it. But you know, you try it out. doesn't work. Uh, you say Simo from the Canadian investor doesn't like, know what he's talking yeah, about. That guy's stupid <laughs> from that podcast. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Spotify, there's a lot of, a lot of things to like long-term, but Teladoc, Spotify, you know, these SaaS businesses that are super fast growing are very expensive and they're priced to perfection. So when you see massive drawdowns, when there's little bumps in the road, if you're an owner and you bought this thing expecting for them to be no bumps in the road, no volatility, when they're priced for perfection, you're going to end up selling it at the worst time. Um, So you got to be willing to hold this stuff, focus on the business. Something like Spotify, you might be a subscriber and know really well how the business works how it operates, what it could do better, what it couldn't do. And you would be able to firsthand see the platform. Now, that's a, that's an advantage for something like this because it's going to be a bumpy ride. If you're a shareholder, when something is priced to perfection, there's going to be hiccups and then the stock price will act accordingly. And it's going to drop 7% in a day like it does today. So if you own this stuff, you got to be able to stomach some volatility. Yeah, no, very well put. Growth companies, that's what you, you know, you're in for. That's what so you sign up you for when handle, you buy shares. Exactly. If you can't handle big swings, then you probably should reconsider investing in growth companies. All That's as, as straight as I can say it. Yeah, well put. All right, guys, I really hope you liked this kind of 2.0 version on the week. We're experimenting with this, see what it is, because, you know, we used to mix news and then investing concepts and deep dives. We said, hey, let's strip that out because people still want to hear news. It's also a nice exercise for Simon and I to discuss these things and keep in the know. So uh, I really enjoyed you know, looking at this stuff. So we will do all kinds of industries. It's not just going to be tech. It just happened that big tech reported today. So we're not going to not touch on it. Uh, and then we'll keep the regular programming. We'll see how it goes. Let us know if you like it. Follow us at Twitter at CDN underscore investing. You can give us some feedback there. Thank you guys so much, and we will see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.